The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Well, that's okay. We're going to put the words on the screen. We'd love to give you a Bible um, after the service at the Connect table. Um, and by the way, every single week, um, our text is this scripture. That's the only truth that we know and have and the only truth that we want to teach and preach. And so if you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you to get, grab one at the Connect table and bring it with you every single Sunday. Um, I want to preach this morning. Um, this is a new series that we're starting. It's about four weeks. And um, we've got a, a guy coming in next weekend who's preached for us before. And I'm really, really excited about it. There's no specific theme that's going to guide all four weeks. It's just, hey, we want to give you a chance to speak what's close to your heart. And today, I want to speak to you very personally from something I've been walking through for three months now, uh, about three months now, and I hope it'll be good for us as a church. And I don't know if you've ever wondered, if you've been in church for a while, if you grew up in church, some of you guys have, um, if you've ever been around people who experienced church or they experienced Jesus and maybe they had a story and, and their story, it looked like, was beginning to be transformed because they'd been around Jesus or they'd been in church for whatever reason. And it was like, wow, what a story. We knew who he was. We knew what she did. And now this is amazing what God's doing. But then at some point in time, maybe you watched as that story began to unfold and the hope that you had for that person began to fade because um, for whatever reason, there was no follow through. There was no um, continuation of what God seemed to be doing in their life. And when we open up the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we have this idea that um, Paul is going to uh, posture to us that gives us an indication of something that happens in people's lives when they are truly being transformed and changed by the gospel. It's a repetitive action. It's a repetitive um, thing that happens over and over and over in a person's life. And it leads to real transformation. And in fact, I just give it away. The, the word is called repent. And the idea is a turning around. Um, I brought my skateboard with me. Actually, it's not mine. It's my son's. Um, uh, I'm getting really old. Like I, I'm wake up in the morning and everything hurts. So I don't ride skateboards anymore. But like when I was a kid, I had a skateboard and it was a big, I, I'm just going to let you see it. Okay. <clears throat> and so um, when I was a kid, I used to, I had this skateboard. I think my parents got it from Walmart. It's called the executioner. And, um, and so like to me, I, people do half pipes and quarter pipes and I, maybe they're full pipes. I don't know. They, they do all these things on skateboards, but I, I was never that. I was good at throwing a baseball and catching a football, but I wasn't good on a skateboard. So for me, what was really cool was if I could stand on a skateboard and I could pop it all the way around. Like, you, have you ever done that before? Like it's, I think you call it a 180, but I thought I was really cool if I could get on a skateboard and I can make it turn all the way around. Like that was my Tony Hawk. I'm not going to do it for you because it's going to be bad. That was like my Tony Hawk moment to demonstrate. I was so good. Um, I know that's a little bit ridiculous, but this idea of turning around is what scripture calls repenting. It's just regular recurring action in the life of a believer. But oftentimes what we see when we watch these stories or we, we wonder where are they now, we wonder what, did they do? Did that? Did they do a 180, or, or 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 was it like a 360? Like like they were going this way, and it seemed like God was changing their life. And actually, what happened was they just turned all the way around and kept going in the same direction. Second Corinthians chapter seven is so good this morning. I hope it'll be instructive for us as we wonder: Is this a, a, a repetitive action? Is this a repetitive thing in my life? Is this happening often? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 8, Paul says, For though I caused you sorrow, 
by my letter. Uh, now, this is 2 Corinthians. This is the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. There was a first letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. It's known as 1 Corinthians. And so Paul, who is not with and present locally in the church in Corinth, had been hearing all of these things that were going on in the church in Corinth. And so he wrote them this letter, and it felt like this accusatory letter. Like, I hear what's happening in your lives, and I'm writing you to warn you, to correct you. I'm writing you so that you understand that what you are doing and how you are living is not pleasing to God. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8, For though I caused you sorrow by my letter. You understand this, right? Like if you've ever been a parent or a child who, who received corrective disciplinary action as a kid. You know what I'm talking about? I was one of those. I received corrective disciplinary action as a kid. And I realize it's Los Angeles, so we have to be careful how we say it because I don't want to go to jail today. But listen, when I was a kid, I received continual corrective disciplinary action. In fact, I was in church one time, and I was laughing at what the preacher, I was sitting right beside my parents, and I was laughing at what the preacher would say. He would say, hell, and I'd, ah, he said, hell. And my dad would take me out of the back, and he would in, impose corrective disciplinary action in the service. And so this happened repeatedly over and over in this one service. And every time we'd say something, I would laugh. And my dad would take me out and impose corrective disciplinary action. And at one point in the service, the pastor, the preacher said, if I don't stop preaching, Mr. Lawson is going to beat his child to death. <laughs> and so I know as a parent who has experienced that same course of action with my own kids I know in the moment I'm sorrowful for it. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this, right? Like, I'm sorrowful in the moment. And so Paul said, I wrote you this letter. And when I wrote it to you, I was sorrowful because no one likes to say, you're doing wrong. But in 1 Corinthians, we find out what Paul's talking about. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, what's happening is the people are fighting together in the church. One group is saying, I follow Apollos. One group is saying, I follow Paul. And they were fighting with each other. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, they were jealous over one another. They were actually jealous over the gospel. There were people taking sides. They're like, I follow Apollos, and he led people to Christ. But I follow Paul, and he watered the seed. And there was jealousy and strife in the local church there. And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 in the first letter that he wrote that he said caused you sorrow. And we see in the very first verse in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 1 where Paul says, I have heard that is taking place among you where a man is sleeping with his father's wife. Now think about that for a moment. He's sleeping with his father's wife. He's sleeping with his mother. I've experienced a lot of things in ministry. Please God, don't let me have to experience that with you. All right. That's just not right. And so, and, so, and so he's experienced strife and jealousy and fighting. And now, now he's experiencing the sexual immorality. Then we get to verse chapter 6, and he's talking about how Christians are suing one another. We get to chapter 7 in 1 Corinthians. He's talking about how Christians are divorcing one another. We get to chapter 8 and chapter 9. And, and in the day, they're, they're taking liberty with what they do and how they live. And it's actually causing other Christians in the church to stumble because they're taking advantage of their liberty. And this was the letter that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. Corinthians to the church at Corinth. And he said, when I wrote you the letter, I, there was sorrow in my heart because no one likes to discipline people. And he goes on and he said, for, for the letter that I wrote to you, I, I caused you sorrow by my letter. But then he goes on to say, and the second thing he said was, but I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Why? For I see that letter caused you sorrow. Now listen to what he said, but only for a little while. 
And Solomon says, I, I regret having to discipline you, but actually after the moment of discipline, I've seen that, that actually that letter has caused you um, to turn from the things that you were doing that did not honor God. And so even though I was sorrowful, I'm not sorrowful now. I don't regret that I ever wrote it because of what's actually happening in your life now. What's happening? Verse 9, I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Here's the word. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. What is sorrow according to the will of God? If you read the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 through 8, there's this dialogue about this idea of holiness. We get to verse 8 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and the author there says, the will of God for your life is holiness. Some of us are praying, God, what is the will of, your, uh, of my life? What is your will for me in my life? And God would respond back, the first will I have for your life is that you live in holiness. Holiness is this big, seemingly antiquated word that we still read in scripture, but actually what it means is being separated and called out for the purpose of loving and serving God. And we don't talk much about holiness in the church today, but we should. And Paul is saying, you were sorrowful. Why? You were sorrowful because it led you to the will of God, which was turning around from your sin and walking towards God. Now in verse 10, listen to how he, how he juxtaposes these two ideas. You were sorrowful to the point of repentance for you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Verse 10 says, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God, that's holiness, it produces a repentance, now listen to what he says, without regret. Those are actually two uh, diametrically opposed ideas in scripture when we talk about what it means to walk with God. Repentance means I'm going one way that doesn't please God. I turn around and I walk with God. Regret means I'm going one way, not walking with God. I turn around to walk with God, but then actually I end up going back to the same place I was. And so when we see people that may come into the church, and people leave churches all the time for a lot of reasons. They move out of town. They don't agree with the theology. They, they, they want to find another church. But for the people who we see, it seems like God's doing something in their life. How is it that they turned around, but then they seemingly just kept on turning around? I call this idea of spiritual regret, I call it spiritual myopia. Last week, if you were here, I talked about um, this LASIK eye surgery that I had. And um, the reason why I needed laser eye sur LASIK eye surgery was because I had myopia. Um, I, I was nearsighted. And technically, um, what it means is that light is not reflected in the eye in the proper way. And so myopia or nearsightedness means, if you're an ophthalmologist and that's wrong, please don't correct me. I'm just going with what I believe. Okay? And, so, and so light doesn't reflect in the right way. And so what happens is you can see up close like, like, like before I had laser eye surgery, if I would take off the Coke bottles, if I would take them off at night, like I could read my Bible, but it would be like this. Like I'd be like, ah, it leads to God. Leads. But, but, I, but if I put it out here, I could not read. I had myopia. I, had, I was nearsighted. I could see close, but I could not see far. 
Paul is saying the people that live with spiritual myopia, people that live with this regret, they seem to be turning around and walking with God, but actually they turn all the way around. Paul describes it like this. He says it's not actually repentance that's guiding their life. It's regret that's guiding their life. And the reason why they're regretful is because they're sorrowful, not over how it affects God and how you should walk with God. They're sorrowful and they're regretful because of how the consequences affect them. And this idea of spiritual myopia implies that, that, that people are only, people that don't repent, people that turn around but keep turning all the way around. The, the point is that the only thing people with spiritual myopia can see is what's right in front of them, what's important to them in the moment. So if you read scripture one way and you're like, um, this is what scripture says, yes, but the consequence may mean that I may have to leave this partner, that it may mean that I may have to walk differently. A person with spiritual myopia says, I'm not actually going to turn around because I can't see the big picture because all I can see is what's in front of me and what's important to me right now. <clears throat> and I call those people spiritual tour takers. Um, Several years ago, I, I went on vacation. With, before we had kids, uh, we did things like this. We went to Hawaii, to Kauai. Uh, Kauai is a beautiful island if you've never been to Hawaii. And I, and I loved Kauai so much that, I, um, that, that on, on the vacation, we would drive around the island and there would be these shaved ice places. Have you ever had shaved ice? I don't mean an icy. It's different. It's, different. it's finer. It's better. It's amazing. And you can put all these things on top and you can put coconut. It's just all condensed milk. It's awesome. And so on this vacation in Kauai, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love Kauai. I love the serenity. I turn my phone off. I can rest and relax. This is amazing. How can I do this every single year, right? You ever been on one of those vacations? Like, how can I make this happen, right? And, uh, and so I start thinking, while I'm on vacation, I'm loving these shaved ices that I'm eating around the island. I'm like, you know what? I'll go home and I'll start a shaved ice truck. And all I need to do is make, like I'm adding up in my, it's 800 bucks a ticket, uh, two tickets is 1600 bucks, it's $300 a night for the hotel. I need about $4,000 to make this vacation happen every single year, but I'm, I, I don't got that kind of money. So, so I'm gonna start a shave. So before I even left vacation, I, I pull out my um, computer and I'm already researching how to start a shaved ice. I, I get the spreadsheet going, I know what my expenses are. I've already researched buying a truck back in Atlanta. Um, I'm thinking I'll lead a ministry of lots and lots of students. I can employ students. And all I need to do is five months a year. And if I do five months a year, according to the projections that I have, I can make $4,000 a year net profit. And I can go to Hawaii every single year. Boom. <laughs> my wife hates these moments because they happen often in my life. <laughs> and so when I get home, I'm like, Man, Kauai was amazing. It was awesome. In fact, I'm going to go back every single year, and this is the plan. And so, but, but then a week would go by, and then, and then two weeks would go by, and then, and then two months would go by, and I'd hear somebody talk about Hawaii, and I'm like, yeah, man, Hawaii, it's a great place. It's awesome. We went to Kauai one time. Yeah, you should go. It's really cool. And then the further we got away from the vacation and the plan that I had made, the, the less impactful um, the idea of going back to that place was. The closer I was to the moment of impact, the more impacted my heart was. But because I was just a tour taker, the further I got away from the moment, the further my heart was removed from the situation. It's very similar in scripture. We experience these moments of, of spirituality, we, these highs and these lows and, and, and these things that happen in our life that look like, wow, God's doing something in their life. 
And the further we get away from it, the further our heart is removed from it. It's not actually repentance that is transforming my life. It's actually regret. I turned around, but I turned all the way around, and I just kept going in the same direction. Why? Because I couldn't see the big picture. I couldn't remember where I came from. All I could see was what was right in front of my eyes. That's a dangerous place to be. It's a dangerous place to be as a believer. And so Paul is saying, that these spiritual tour takers are, they, he said, he's encouraged, don't, don't be the person that turns all the, turn around, turn away from these things that he's presented to them. This spiritual myopia causes us to have the ability to only see what's close to us. As a youth pastor, I think I actually have a student, a former student of mine, they just got married. I don't know if she's in this service or not, but they're passing through. They may be here today at the 1130. As a student pastor, I w- we would lead these camps. The church that I came from just had camp last week, and it was awesome to see kids just come to camp. And it felt like lives were being transformed and changed. Maybe you went to winter camp with us just a few months ago. And, and, and in the moment, you're like, oh my gosh, we can, take, we can charge the hill. We can take any mountain with the students whose lives have been changed. And then a week would go by, and two weeks would go by, and four months would go by, and like, where? Wait, remember, where, where are they? And this idea of regret is not that I'm sorrowful that led me to the will of God, meaning holiness. It means I'm sorrowful because I got caught and there are consequences and I'll turn away from it for a moment, but I'll just keep turning all the way around. Now, read verse 11 with me. Verse 11 says, for behold, and Paul says, this is not what happened with the Corinthian church though. They weren't regretful. They weren't regretful. They were the opposite. They repented of what Paul postured before them in his first letter. And this is how they did it. Verse 11, for behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow produced in you, what vindication of yourselves from what you had done, what indignation towards the sin that you were living in, He goes on to say, what fear of God that you have demonstrated, what longing to pursue the heart of God and what Jesus would have for your life, what zeal you have for one another and for God's church, what avenging of wrong. So Paul is telling us here that this accusatory letter was met with the Spirit of God convening with the words of God in their life and what was happening was they actually turned around, turned away from it. And that's God's heart for all of us. There have been occasions in my own life and even recently where I've had to evaluate decisions and things that I've personally done, ways I've personally led. I said, God, on my knees, you see my heart and I have to repent before you, God, because I have led us in this way and I know it did not honor you. God, I turn from that. As a believer, that should be the constant posture of our lives. And by the way, that's not easy. Do you read the words that are described here when Paul describes their repentance? What vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal? What does sorrow that leads to repentance look like? What does it look like? Well, the first thing it looks like is that you care for your spiritual soul. It means that you care for your spiritual soul. It's not that you just refrain from an act. You're actively refraining from the things of God that do not honor him. 
Last week I told you about laser eye surgery that I had. And uh, there's two things when you have myopia. You have one of two options. You can either wear glasses and correct it and help to correct it. And my vision was so bad that the glasses just looked ridiculous, okay? And I'm like, that's not an option. So I had LASIK eye surgery. And so I told you last week I went in to get this LASIK eye surgery. And as I'm laying on the table, they, put, they cover up one eye with this patch. And then they put this other thing in your eye to just open it up and spread it out. They put this patch over it in case the laser beams don't accidentally move over and, you know, damage this eye, which would be horrible. And then they, they put this thing in your eye that spreads it open. And when it puts so much pressure on your eyeball that you literally go black, you can't see out of this eye because they got a patch over it. You can't see out of this eye because it puts so much pressure on it. You actually went black. And so in the moment, I can't see anything that's happening. I read about it. I know what was going to happen. There were 60,000 laser beams per second that were penetrating my eye. And what the doctor said was he would take this flap, this, uh, this, this flap over your eye. They would cut it open. They would lay it over the laser beam. 60,000 of them would penetrate the inner workings of your eye, change the, the, the shape of your eye. So now light reflected in the correct way. So now you could only not only see close up, but you could also see far away. So I'm laying on the table. I can't see because this eye is covered up. I can't see because this eye is under pressure. But then the laser starts and I hear... <laughs> And all of a sudden, I smell burning flesh. I'm like, Doc, I don't think this is working. And so I'm, 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 and I hear, and I feel, and I smell this burning flesh. And he's like, 10 seconds, you're doing great. I'm like, God, Doc, this ain't working. And like, eight seconds, you can do it. Like, Doc, I'm about to pass out. This is not working, right? And so they get to the end and then what they do is they take that flap that they once cut open and they cover it back up over your eye. And then they take a Q-tip. This is really weird. They take a Q-tip and they circle around that flap to seal it to make sure there's no ridges in the flap. Is that disgusting to you? Some of y'all are like, (gasps) and so we get out of surgery and the doctor's like, hey, um, I need you to take this home with you. And there's some things in there that you need to do over the next few days. And so, so like I paid even with a Groupon, like several thousand dollars. And this is what I get. Right. And so, so he's like, okay, so you have some instructions in there. You need to follow all these instructions. And then, and then you have these pills when it hurts really bad, make sure you take one of these every four hours on it. See so and so in a day. And then you got these drops. And so these are rewetting drops. You need to do it three times a day. If your eyes get dry, just make sure you put rewetting drops in. And then these are the drops you put in the morning, then at night, and then all these things to do. And then this is the thing that you put over your eyes at night. And so, and so this is not, this is not actually the right one. I borrowed this from my daughter, but, um, <clears throat> I sensed threw away the one that he gave me. And there's like this, these goggle looking things. Like if you've ever been in the military, I think they call those like birth control goggles. Like they look just really ridiculous, right? And so he's like, and when you get home, you got to put these goggles over. Now, these aren't the ones because I can't see. So I'm going to put them off like this. But he's like, when you get home, you got to put these goggles over you. When you're laying in the bed, you got to put the goggles on. When you take a shower, you got to put the goggles on. When you're playing with your kids, you got to put the goggles on. When you're walking around the house, you got to put the goggles on. No strenuous activity, no, no exercise, no swimming in the pool, no shower for two days. All these things you got to do. And I'm like, Doc, really? I, I, I put them on my eyes when I get into the bathroom at home. And I'm like, these things look ridiculous. Really? And he's like, you can't sleep on your stomach. I'm a, any stomach sleepers in the house? I'm a stomach sleeper. If I don't sleep on my stomach, I sleep on my side. And he's like, you can't sleep on your stomach or on your side for a period of like a week. Why? Because if something happens, if you don't wear the goggles and something accidentally touches your eyeball, it could damage what we have permanently changed to your eye. And so I'm like, okay. And so guess what I did when I got home? 
I put the goggles on. <laughs> I laid back in the bed and I just chilled. And two days later, when I took a shower, I put the goggles on and no water got in my eyes when I was walking around the house. As ridiculous as it looked, I put the goggles on. I did exactly what he said. Why? Even though it was a pain, was it difficult? Was it a lot of things to do? I don't even remember what I'm supposed to do with this. I think this is twice a day. I think he said four times a day with this. Like, was it, was it a lot? Absolutely, it was a lot. Why did you do it? Because my vision changed permanently. And it wasn't a hassle. My vision changed permanently. And you see, people that are walking this way and are confronted with their sin, they turn around and they walk with God. See, we innately think, if I do that, if I turn away, if I don't, it's going to suppress my joy. It's going to suppress my happiness. It's going to take away things that I love in my life. But the difference is people who are walking away from God, they turn from their sin and walk with God. They don't see it that way. They see this as the joy in their life that is not a hassle because their life has been changed by God and his opinion is the only one that matters. What does it look like? What does sorrow that leads to repentance look like? It looks like you care for your soul. Tyler's gonna come up. We're gonna close out here. The last thing I wanna say to you about this idea of repentance. Paul goes on to say here in verse 12, so although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the one offended, in other words, this wasn't just about you clearing your name. This wasn't just about you clearing your reputation in the community. I didn't write to you just so you would, you would clear up the bad things being said about you. He goes on to say, but for that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. Sorrow that leads to repentance, first of all, looks like you caring for your spiritual soul. Yes, I realize if I turn, it may cause things in my life that I have to leave behind, but ultimately I know this is where my joy is. But it also may mean that you're not just concerned about clearing your own name. You're concerned about clearing God's name in this process. That's really the whole point. It's really the whole point. It's, it's not really about me and what people are saying about me. It's not you and what people are saying about you. It's so that God doesn't get the bad reputation. It's so that God doesn't get defamed. So that God doesn't get rebuked because of how you are living and the offense that you're charged with. I've had these moments over the last few months and one of the reasons why I'm preaching to you this morning about this is because this is something most recent in my life. Where I just believe the Spirit of God confronted me through the actions and activities of some other things outside of me, though related. And there were moments where I had to come before God and say, God, I need to clear your name here. Because the decisions that I've made that have affected a lot of us God, I, I need to ask for your forgiveness. And God, I'm turning from that decision and I'm going to make it right in your eyes and in your sight. And I want to say to us as a church, if you are a believer and you know Jesus, it should be the constant posture of our hearts. It should be the constant repetitive action in our life. 
And the only way that happens is if we walk with God. We listen to God. We listen to the corrective action of others. Other people spoke into my life over those few months. Very kindly. Very gently. And the only way we turn from those things that don't honor God is if we listen to other people. We allow the Spirit of God to speak to us. And genuinely we say, you know what, it's not even really about me. It's about you, God, and the only thing that matters is your name being cleared in this situation. Have you walked through something recently where maybe even the Spirit of God has told you, that's not a place I want you to be. It's not a relationship I want you in. It's not a thing I want you a part of. And the Spirit of God continues to speak to your life, yet you continue to walk. And at times it may seem like you've turned around, but the reality is you just kept on turning around because the only thing you could see in the moment was what was important to you. Will God speak to you today about really what's important? About his name, his glory, your joy? Would that be you today? I don't know what God may be speaking to you. But I hope this morning has been helpful to some of us. A constant repetitive action of saying, God, does this please you? No, then I'm going to abandon ship. I don't want nothing to do with it. God, all I want in my life is what you would have for me, my joy, your glory. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. God, grateful for your word today. Thank you for the convicting action of the spirit of the living God. God, I thank you for friends that care for us. God, I thank you for the people in this room who have friends that do care for them. I can look them in the eyes with a kind and gentle response. God, your word says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. God, I pray the spirit of the living God would not be harsh this morning, would not be received harshly, but in your kindness, God, you would speak to us individually if there are parts of our lives that aren't pleasing to you. By the spirit of the living God, would you cause us to turn. Turn around, not all the way around, just to turn around and to walk with you, God. May we be that church that cares deeply about our soul, cares deeply about the glory of God in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.